culture. 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 Equality, equity, and justice. Mm -hmm. Religion as culture. It's hard to define. Belonging. We are cultural facilitators. Conflict. Conversation. If you can talk, you can sing. Celebrate differences. Bring people together. Compromise. Community. Culture. Mm -hmm. Culture and belonging. Welcome to the Culture and Belonging podcast from Troy University in the Office of Institutional Research, Planning, and Effectiveness. I'm Rich Lede. And I'm Wendy Broyles. Here at Troy University, we have a great diversity of backgrounds, but we also have a great diversity of thought. I am particularly interested in conflict. What types of conflicts arise when cultures collide? But more importantly, how do we find a way to compromise? And my interest is more on the belonging side. In a diverse environment, how can we make sure everyone feels welcome? And how can we harness our differences and promote understanding and cooperation, not only at Troy University, but beyond? Our guest today is Dr. Scott Sexton, lecturer of choral music at Troy University. Dr. Sexton has taught, conducted, and performed as a choral musician and collaborative pianist throughout North America, Europe, and Africa. His research interests include historical music education, and the intersection of music education and ethnomusicology. Dr. Sexton, thank you so much for joining us on Culture and Belonging. I understand you recently went to South Africa. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences there? So we went to South Africa. The group consists of half Americans and then half black South Africans. And what we do, we rehearse out in the middle of nowhere, like a game lodge, literally out in the middle of nowhere. and some of the rehearsals, monkeys would peek in the windows and try to come get our snacks and stuff. So we had to, we had what we call monkey duty to make sure nobody came in. But we would learn a beautiful concert of both American pieces and and uh, various uh, languages and cultures represented in South Africa. And then the second half of the trip, we took a tour um, in and around Johannesburg and in and around Cape Town. And it, it was just amazing because here we are, the Americans were mostly white Americans, the South Africans were mostly black South Africans. And we would go to somewhere and for, for black South Africans to see white people learning their music authentically and they care enough to actually do it, it was just amazing for them because many people in their country don't take the time to do that. So it just just the fact that we took the time to learn their language and learn it well. It was great because we would go in a concert space and people would just be blinking, looking at us like, what are you doing here? And we're just like sitting there awkward, you know, what are we doing? But when the first note sounded, it just everyone just came alive and smiles and you know, happiness and it, it was just amazing. Do you think some of those looks that you got, like, what are you doing here? Do you think that was based on people's perceptions? Of, is that a racial thing, do you think? Or what do you think was, was, was causing people to kind of question, what, what are yeah. you doing here? What are your motives? Why are you here? Sure. I think it was a little bit of um, several things. I think it is a bit of a racial mm-hmm. thing. South Africa still has a lot yeah. of work to do, yeah. just, just like we do. I mean, with the history yeah. of apartheid. Sure. You know, so that's, that's the obvious thing. That, sure. But, but, I'm, you know, I'm wanna, but I want to push you on your thoughts. Like, yeah. What? I think the next thing is most you know, tourists come there to see lions and zebras and yeah. <laughs> giraffes, yeah. and they want to go see all the beautiful things in South Africa. Most tourists don't come to learn their language and mm-hmm. music. And um, so I think that there is a shock factor there too as well. Well, I think it speaks to the power of power of music to bring people together. 
Absolutely. You know, and, and you're not yeah. you're not just a tourist. Absolutely. Like you, the thing that you share with the black South Africans, regardless of the color of your skin, is it, there's something else that you share. Absolutely. You know, and, and you're not you're not just there for the lions and the zebras yeah. and the monkeys. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but you're there because of this common bond mm-hmm. that you have. Mm-hmm. I think just just the, that we take the time to learn their music well. It's not like we're just standing there looking at a piece of paper. It's we took the time to learn the music, learn the move, and in a lot of sub-Saharan African music, you move with the music and you dance. Learn those dances, and it's just like wow. <laughs> that sounds like a yeah. very interesting piece of professional development. Absolutely. That not all professions get to experience, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> I mean, as a political scientist, I get to study other cultures. I use culture as a, you know, I figure out how to turn culture into a variable. Sure. But that's not the same as, you know, right. experiencing it and sharing, sharing music, sharing song, sharing poetry. Yeah. You know, that to me is, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm jealous. Yeah. Well, I think many of us academic types, really, when we talk about culture, we definitely do it from an objective point of view mm-hmm. instead of all this subjective stuff we talked about. Like you said, the poetry, the singing yeah. and you know, getting in there and just mm-hmm. being a part of it. So how do you dis- how do you define culture? One thing we've done is we've asked we ask our guests to give us a definition of culture. Be personal. What do you what do you mean when you say culture? Yeah, when when I personally say culture, I think of finding that common ground with people. I think when gen- in general people think of culture, they automatically think of other or foreign or like what's there. Ooh, but a lot of people don't really think about what what is your culture? How do you fit in? And it's not just your religious culture. It's just not where you're from. It's like we have a culture here because we are here at Troy University. We work you know, in various departments, and that's culture. And I, I don't think people really think about everything you do, all the common things you do with people is, is some kind of culture. Yeah. So moving us away from <laughs> the other and yeah. moving us toward the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the belonging. belonging. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> moving us to the belonging, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, well, I think we have to under, you have to look and understand yourself before you attempt to understand others in a perfect world belonging would be you could be in a situation and without judgment everybody just gets along beautifully and they listen and you feel heard and um, that's what belonging is to me you're singing in another language you're learning to sing in another language because part of culture is language yeah. right like that's that's part of part of this right and and sometimes that takes a different vocal technique. We learned a Georgian piece, not Georgia like the state, but Georgia the the, the nation, right, back in the fall. And that was challenging for, not for me. I don't know about everybody else, but it was just a different. Different way of singing, yeah. Yeah, more, yeah. more guttural than your mm-hmm. typical mm-hmm. lullaby. Yeah, I mean, how how is that? That's what I'm, I mean, you're native English. I mean, English is your first language. Yes. And, you know, like, I'm, I guess I'm thinking about the professional development side of this. That's got to be both challenging and rewarding, you know, but I'm, I guess I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. As someone who spent a little bit of time trying to learn Pashtun language so that I could go and work, you know, with the military in Afghanistan, that was, that's a, that was very difficult for me. And it took sure. 
being immersed in the culture, being immersed in the language and hearing it daily and working with the linguist. And even after being in country for a long time, I mean, half a year, I just started to pick up words and phrases. And here you are. I, I'm going to commit myself to learning to sing this piece in this language. You know, that to me is, that's difficult. It's got to be difficult. So I'm going to jump in with a little bit of Google search I did okay. this morning. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but music helps you with your memory. So you might think back to songs you learned as a little kid. In high school, my Spanish teacher also taught a kindergarten class Spanish, and she would use some of the same songs for high school kids and the elementary kids. And we so we learned all these different songs, and we learned better pronunciation of the Spanish because we were doing it in song form that maybe we wouldn't learn as well if we weren't putting it to music. So, so to answer both of you, really, yes, it does. You think about it and it seems like, oh, wow, that, that seems really hard. I can just jump in another culture and do it. But most of my work with other music cultures has been in the way of folk music. And folk music in general is pretty simple. It's music that's meant to be accessible by the general population. It's meant to be organic. It's meant to be communal. So it might be a difficult language, but maybe it's the same three words repeated over and over. It's the same four lines repeated over and over. And it's just all about finding those entry points. You know, for instance, a lot of like a lot of Zulu South African choruses are the same thing over and over. And sometimes just takes patient people. Okay, we're going to sing this over and over and you just jump in when you can. So it's find those entry points and where you can immediately feel successful, I guess. In the music world, there's a big point of contention among many academics because many people think that music is here. It all comes from that classical Western canon. You know, that music is beautiful. Have I performed and taught it? Absolutely, I have. Is it important? Absolutely. But we had to ask ourselves, is it immediately accessible? Can you teach someone who hasn't done any music or cultural things, can you teach them eight lines of Beethoven immediately? Most, usually nine times out of 10, no, you cannot. So there's some psychology research around music and how it brings people together, how when you sing in a group, it builds trust and it can lower stress levels because it releases oxytocin in your brain, so that fights the cortisol and... So there's this bond that happens. Some people say that singing releases endorphins that make us smarter, healthier, happier, and more creative. Can you speak to any of that from a personal experience or from your own research? Yeah, sure. Um, this might be a good time to bring in my research. So a lot of my research and part of my dissertation, I've done work with peace building and music and um, going into post-conflict zones and using music to bring people together. I've done a lot of this work in Balkan Europe, um, throughout Bosnia, especially Bosnia and Herzegovina. And I've, I've been um, through the, mainly through the same organization I talked about Village Harmony, but I've also done some stuff independently. Going to Bosnia and learning the music of all the groups involved in the Bosnian war in the 90s and um, learning that music authentically and then going out in public performing that music to those groups. So, for instance, in one of the groups in Bosnia I was in, 
we were in a predominantly Muslim town giving a concert, and we had a Catholic priest in our group. And the Catholic priest came up and sang a verse of an ilahiyah, which is a Muslim um, song of praise. And they announced right before he sang this that, you know, this is a Catholic priest. He will now be singing this. And that was just one of the most powerful experiences I've I've ever had because, (laughs) you know, in general, the audience was, you know, really excited, pepped up when he sang. He was a good singer, first of all, but it it was just so moving to see everyone's reactions. There was kind of a still. um, There were people weeping, you know, that they never thought that something like that would happen that, you know, the other side, I'm doing quotes right yeah. now, would take time to learn my music, you know. It helps um, that he's a good singer. Yeah. But it <laughs> really helped that he's from another faith tradition. Absolutely. That's the impact factor. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's what matters right there. That's cool. Yeah. You know. Bringing those people together who, you know, normally it is not a tradition for different people to come together and sing together, but people like us going in and showing them that it can be done. Mm-hmm. You did good research, by the way. All those things you mentioned Just are really definitely a thing. Google search. <laughs> and, um, you know, getting people who normally wouldn't even converse with each other, but getting them in a circle to sing together and sing each other's music is just powerful. Because before the wars, when Yugoslavia was more of a communist, they learned all the cultures. They, all those people grew up learning everyone's songs and everyone's dances. And then here are these foreigners mixed in with some Bosnians showing these people that, hey, you know, and it's evoking some of that nostalgia and stuff from childhood. Oh, yeah, we used to do this, and we used to have a good time doing this, so why can't we do it now? From my discipline, we think about, you know, post-conflict resolution and peacekeeping and... I would have never even thought about song. Yeah. You know, song is a way to, you know, bring people together after a sense, you know, a sense, armed conflict. Yeah. You know, sure. um, as you were as you were mentioning this, I, I was thinking about some of the some of the most beautiful singing I've ever heard is really early in the morning when there's a call for prayer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it happens depending on the mullah in the village if it's, but the sun hasn't even come up yet. Mm. But I've been woken up many mornings by that call to prayer. And I, it just, you just brought me, you brought me back to that. And many times that, you know, religious elder was not the greatest singer. Yeah. It didn't matter. Yeah. You know, it was, it was still the, the words. And I, I mean, being in a war zone to hear that yeah. is like that's that's calming. Well, and yeah. like there's a difference between listening to the radio and being in live music venue. It's it's just it's like the difference between watching the Disney Channel and walking into the Magic Kingdom. Like <laughs> it's just different. You can't compare a CD or Spotify with being in the middle of this music that, I mean, it's so much more than stereo when it's all around you and you feel it and it's in the ground and it's... Well, you had to appreciate music, but you also had to make it. Right. So not everyone is a singer, Mm -hmm. but can anyone be a singer? I truly believe so. A lot of people will say, oh, well, if people didn't catch you when you were younger, you know, young kids are more apt to do that. But I think if you can talk, you can sing. A lot of people misappropriate the word tone deaf. And the statistic is very, very, very low of people who are actually 
tone deaf. Like mm-hmm. I think it's like point zero 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 one percent or something. You know, so it sounds like you said almost all of us can sing. Yeah, absolutely. No, I didn't say well, <laughs> <laughs> but if you can speak and if you can speak and not sound like a robot like this, if you can speak with tone inflection, you can sing. Art in general is something that it's very personal, but you, you, you got to be willing to put yourself out there. Right? Mm-hmm. You've got to be willing to show someone your painting. You got to be willing to let someone hear a song you've composed or, you know, you got to be willing to share that with others. I've, I've mentioned some of the, you know, in your research, like how the song can be powerful, you know, in conflict resolution, for example, but it, there's vulnerability, it seems, with that. So maybe, what are your thoughts on, on that, like being, being vulnerable? You know, you work with students and I'm, you know, that student has to put themselves in a vulnerable position and say, listen to me sing and critique my song, yeah. you know, and, and that, like, speak to that vulnerability. So a, a large thing of what I do, both here and when I go to Huntington, I train music teachers. And the biggest thing I tell them is, and a lot of people have said this, you know, even when they're young, teenagers, adults, whoever, one comment from you can kill the love of music for someone for like a whole lifetime, you know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, think about wow. that. Like, yeah. Or think about even as early as kindergarten, if you kill their love for music, then think of all the things Maybe that was a future Mozart or something that you just killed their love for music for. So just be really mindful of what you say. And you really have to make it inviting and accessible like I talked about. Unfortunately, many, many music teachers put themselves at such a high level and they're like, oh, yes, I just played this blah, 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 and by so-and-so and so. Who cares? <laughs> you, know, you know, yes, that stuff's important. And yes, I want to hear it. But we're not just music teachers. We are cultural facilitators and the fact that music belongs to everyone. And we have to invite and find that entry point for everyone. If you have someone who's willing to share, it may sound awful, but make them feel like that's the best thing they did. Is there anything that you would really just, if nobody hears anything else, what's one thing you would want someone to know? Form your own opinions. Mm. Don't think and believe what you think you're supposed to believe, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And I I say this, I'm from the South, but I think we are horrible to judge people or turn away people in the name of religion, but studying all major religions, most of them say, don't judge others, you know. So try to learn something new about someone else every day. Only when we do that can we, like, truly understand each other, I guess. And I tell people that... All the time, all the time. Try to learn something about someone else. Yeah. Learn something new every day. I love that saying. I love that. Our guest for this episode of Culture and Belonging has been Dr. Scott Sexton, lecturer of choral music at Troy University. We hope that you'll subscribe to the Culture and Belonging podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And get involved by tweeting us at belongingpod. For our next episode, we'd like you to tell us about a piece of music that connected with you and helped you feel closer to another culture. We'll read the most outstanding answer at the end of episode five. Culture and Belonging is produced by Troy University in the studios of Troy Public Radio by Austin Toy and Joey Hudson with help from Kyle Gassett. So until next time, I'm Wendy Broyles. And I'm Rich Lede, and this is Culture and Belonging. <laughs>